0: Episode 79, The Rant, A.J. Hemingway, balancing work, life, and officiating, all in the pursuit of the highest level of men's college basketball. A.J. played ball as early as he can remember. In this pod, he discusses his travels in the AEU circuit as a kid, how he played at a high level at Brooklyn College, and his new passion that he unexpectedly took on as an official. He discusses how officiating balances with the rest of his life and activities. All that and more, my conversation with A.J. now. The rant has been brought to you by Roar Organic. Everything your body needs, nothing it doesn't. There's a reason they say variety is the spice of life. And with their new organic line comes the following exciting flavors. Georgia peach, blueberry acai, cucumber watermelon, mango clementine, pineapple mint, strawberry coconut. Ah! Roar Organic uses a proprietary electrolyte blend created with organic coconut water, organic cane sugar, and sea salt. It's non-GMO, vegan-friendly, Gluten-free, no artificial colors or flavors, no preservatives, and no artificial sweeteners. Just 2 grams of sugar and only 10 calories per serving. Visit Roar.Land and use the code REFEREERANT, one word, in the checkout and receive 10% off your next purchase. That's Roar.Land, code REFEREERANT. The Rant has been brought to you by the revolutionary product for referees and all professionals alike, Neatucks. Tucks. What the tuck? Traditional shirt stays have been tried and true but never accounted for those professionals that have shorts as uniforms. What do you do when you officiate soccer or lacrosse or even basketball in the summer? Don't forget about baseball umpires, too. Enter knee tucks, which come in style and active versions. Don't get it twisted. You can even wear them at your 9 to 5, too. Listeners of The Rant can visit kneetucks.com and enter the coupon code REFEREERANT, one word, and receive 20% off your initial order. That's referee rant one word. Happy tucking. Welcome to another edition of the Rant. I'm your host, Ralph the Ref. I'm with a special guest at Brooklyn College, alumni, former basketball player for the Brooklyn Bulldogs, uh, Division II men's college official, and also NYC Extraordinaire, PSAL, CHSAA um, circuit in the summer, pro am, and all that. AJ Hemingway, what's good, man? Wow, that was an amazing introduction yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there. So. You. I think I met you I want to say 3 years ago at Island Garden. I'll never forget. We did a game. And what's interesting about that place is and we talked about this before off air is that, you know, when there's no games at all, there's always games happening at Island Garden. That's probably why me and you are on staff. And I remember it's always like a mixture of people that are really good and people that are just starting out. And it's really hard to get up for those games because it's, you know, always like 12-year-old youth but I remember I saw your mechanics, and I was like, okay, so this guy is on something. <laughs> and, and my favorite thing that I remember is that when you were leaving, you, you were following the no turn on red. I was like, bro, we in West Hempstead, man. <laughs> you remember that? Yeah, yeah, I do remember that. Nonetheless, welcome to the show. Yeah, thank you. Um, so let's, let's go all the way back to the beginning. What was your relationship with sports growing up? What did you play, I guess, growing up? in middle school and high school, and then ultimately in college?
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, my story starts back in, uh, when I was three years old. Um, I come from a basketball family. Me and my brother grew up playing sports, football, basketball. And we were one of those families. We were on the road um, every weekend. Where'd you grow up? In uh, Staten Island. Born in Brooklyn, raised in Staten Island. Um, and every weekend we used to hit the road. Um, from like as early as I could remember, um the AU days before it became the big brand that it is. Mm-hmm. Um, we were west Coast, east coast, all up and down from North Carolina to uh New New Hampshire. Um and that's what we did. That's uh that was us. Yeah.
0: Did you play any other sports outside of basketball or you just mainly focused on ball?
1: Um, it wasn't until I would say around like fifth grade, I, I uh, got introduced to football through my uh, cousins. They played football. And I played that up until eighth grade. And then when I got to uh, high school, I had to uh, make a decision mm. because uh, football basically bled into basketball. And it was one of those things where if I wanted to play football, I would have to miss a couple games playing basketball. And I was like, ah, do, I, do I really want to do that? And I decided against it and I stuck with, uh, with basketball. So, um, yeah, I played pretty much from third grade all the way up to high school, uh, Curtis High School in Staten Island, and uh, we took it very seriously, my family, uh, hmm. very intense, um, from my, my early days all the way up into college. We're here at Brooklyn College, my old stomping grounds, um, played college basketball Division 3, um, won a couple championships there. and. Uh, Really, really took it serious. Like I think that was one of the things. Every basketball player, I think, that's competitive, thinks that once they graduate college, they're going to go on to play uh, professional basketball. And that, I think that was one of my aspirations up until probably I did graduate. And um, and then uh, that was during the 2011. I graduated. It's one of the years um, the, the NBA lockout. Mm. And as I like to say. You know, a lot of those guys in the NBA were taking those overseas contracts. Yeah. and uh, You and got it, shut out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's what I like to say. You uh-huh. know? I tell myself that all the time. But uh, in, in, in reality, I think I was more realistic to the fact that it probably wasn't going to happen for me playing professionally. Mm. And um, I ended up getting a job, luckily, right out of college. Um, that kind of made my decision for me.
0: So that must have been a hard stop going from, you know, basically playing basketball all the way up until from three years old to finally graduating college and then realizing that, you know, the NBA lockout and, and overseas is probably not going to happen. How did you get your fill in terms of playing? Now, did you end up playing in adult leagues? Did you start going into the pro-am circuit?
1: No, no, not at all. Um, I did some training um, right out of uh, college. I was going to New Jersey. There was a, a guy that I kind of uh, used to train me when I was in high school, and he was doing some stuff with some prep school stuff out in the New Jersey area, South New Jersey. So a couple weekends, you know, when you graduate, um, it's not much going on. You don't have a job. So I was like, you know what, I can go out there, and I train for a couple weekends. I, I would leave and spend the weekend out there and then come back during the week. Um so I did that for a few. I think I may have went to like a, a, a overseas like showcase kind of deal for a weekend at St. At Francis College uh, that was run through probably like an agent of some sort. So I did that and then no, I think what really made the decision for me was just the fact that I got this job and, and that was it. Hmm. Um, I started working and I didn't really do the, the I went cold turkey man. I didn't do the, the, uh, the men's leagues or anything like that. Which is interesting when you think about it. Yeah. Because it's like someone who played ball their entire life. You right. think they would uh, continue that. But no, I think officiating kind of was, was the thing that kind of did it for me.
0: Mm.
1: Where I didn't, I got my, my, my urge and that feel um, from officiating, mm. where I didn't necessarily need basketball. Anymore. Right.
0: So I want to go back to that. What was your perception of referees when you were in the AAU circuit? as well as in high school when you went to Curtis. And then, you know, your experience with a Division three officials, were you somebody that was talking to the refs and oh. getting upset and trying to get to the calls? Oh, absolutely.
1: <laughs> absolutely. I was the worst. I was the worst. And I look back and I, and I kind of, not regret it, because, you know, we're young, but there, there's, it's real black and white, mm-hmm. no pun intended. When you're a basketball player, you hate officials. And there's nothing that they can do that could that could satisfy you while you're on the court. Everything, right. everything they do is wrong, mm-hmm. you know, and you look at them and, and some of them you're like, you never played basketball a day in your life. How do you know how to call a game? You know, and I think that's the kind of approach that basketball players take. And now that I'm on the other side, I see that actually, no, officials really do know what they're doing. They do work hard at their craft. And a lot of them are really good.
0: Right. Yeah. And so, I think yeah. something that we can relate to as officials is that we care about basketball just as much. I love this game. This game has opened so many doors. I mean, to the point where I'm in Brooklyn College and we opened up double doors that we probably wouldn't have been afforded. Um, so I guess moving forward, what got you the bug of officiating? Because, you know, just like what you said before is that you kind of had an adversarial, I guess, relationship while you were reffing. And, and I always thought that the uniform was terrible. <laughs> the pants were baggy. Yeah. yeah. And And so... What got you to the point where you were like, you know what, maybe officiating could be an avenue where I can continue my basketball career?
1: Yeah, uh, totally. Well, a few things. So when I actually had a game here one time, Greg Dickerson, who's a a Division II uh, referee here in New York City, Veteran official, I think he just recently just retired, retired right? Retired, yeah, after eighteen, nineteen years.
0: I heard he writes mystery novels. Is this true?
1: <laughs> he is a published author. He is a published author. I think he has two or three books he's written. He's actually one of my mentors. Um, so yeah, Greg Dickerson, I had a game and we happened to cross paths before the game, and he and he pulled me to the side and he said, "Hey man," because he he actually used to referee me back in CYO. Mm-hmm.
0: Uh,
1: which is like a amateur Catholic youth organization for people that I don't know. Um, and he said, hey, you ever thought about uh, officiating? And when I tell you, I looked at him like if he was crazy.
0: Like, yeah, because first of all, never like, you're cool. Yeah. You're cool for you, <laughs> but I don't know about knowing everybody else. Uh,
1: officiating? Uh, no, thank you, sir. And uh, so we, we left it at that, and, and so that was number one. So, actually, when I was in Brooklyn College, I needed uh, a couple credits uh, to uh, like, it was like one of my last semesters and I needed to fill out my uh, uh, curriculum. Um, so, I was like, you know what, let me take officiating. So, I took the officiating course and I think that was my first introduction to like the rules side of it and just learning learning that aspect of it and then, you know, you used to have the class and then you'd go out into intramurals and they'll have you Referee, so I did that for a semester, and I was like, oh, "This is kind of cool." So I did that, and then um, you know, once I graduated, it was done, and I was like, oh, "What am I gonna do?" So I actually ha- I did play in, in one like men's league game, and went out, and I bumped into Arnold Saunders, mm-hmm. who's another veteran, veteran referee in New York City, um, who's a still active referee. And I asked him, I said, hey man, I'm, I'm kind of interested in this officiating thing. What can I do to like, do this? And he was like, he took my information. He was like, I'll get back to you. I didn't hear from him the entire summer. So I'm like, oh, this guy forgot about me. I, I don't know what I'm gonna do. Then he called me probably two weeks before the, um, the class at the Brooklyn IABO class was supposed to start. And he said, you know, here's, here's the information Class is about to start up. It's like a hundred and fifty dollars. He said, "I know that sounds like a lot, but you'll make that back your first week of officiating." And at the time, I'm like, oh, hundred and fifty dollars! I just got another class. class. Yeah, yeah, It's like, <laughs> I don't, do I got the money for this? Am I really going to invest in it?" And I decided to invest in it, and um, I loved it. Um, that was, and then that was again another introduction into um, the actual rules side of it. And I was amazed by how much I didn't know right. as a player. Um, just from, like, first touch, last touch, backcourt violation. Um, a, a whole bunch of, like, nuances to the rules that you're like, wow. You're thinking to yourself when you were playing, you're like, wow, I was really criticizing this ref. And I didn't know what I was talking about. It's like
0: you were atoning for your sins in real time, right? Yeah,
1: seriously, seriously. Um, so, yeah, that was that was kind of my introduction to
0: officiating. Mm. So, you know, I remember just going through the class for myself. I know you were in 37, right? Yeah. I was in 41 in Nassau County. And I just remember there was a moment when they were saying, if it's a legal try, you can go retrieve the ball and it's not a walk. And I was saying to myself, well, if I'm going to the park, I'm not telling anybody <laughs> about that rule because <laughs> it's still going to be a walk as far as I'm concerned. So... After you passed that, what was your first game? Do you remember what your first experience was after you passed the class? I don't know my first experience. I know
1: when you, when, at least, at least when, it was, when I was taking the class, you passed it and it was kind of too late for you to get into that season. Right. So you're certified, but you're kind of stuck in limbo, limbo. until mm-hmm. the next season comes around. So I don't remember per se my first games, but I do remember my first experience at a camp. Um, which was, say, if I got certified in, in the, the fall, winter of... Two, I'm giving a miscellaneous year, but 2012. So now 2013 in spring, I went to um, a camp that was run by Brimmer, Antonio Brimmer, who's the uh, assigner for the PSAL. And, I mean, that was intense. Mm. You had clinicians were Antonio Brimmer, uh, Heather Brown, Earl Robinson... Daryl Perry, uh, Will Mentor. Bosses. Um, And that was really when I was like, this is serious.
0: And you didn't realize how serious it was until?
1: Until I got to that that, uh, camp. Because that was, I mean, we get into those rooms and breaking down plays and really hard criticism on, on why you made a call, why you didn't. What did you explain why didn't you handle the coaches the way you should have? Um, and just seeing how everyone took the approach of professionalism and really working hard, and mm. to me it paralleled with basketball because you know you get in what you put out, you get out of it what you put
0: in. You know, I think that's what's amazing about officiating. Everyone kind of stumbles upon it. It's not like a, a thing where you think you know when I'm 10 years old I want a referee right? That's not always the aspiration. It's always kind of like on the back end because my basketball career is over. Do you think that camp is what led you to start taking it super serious?
1: I think that was, yeah, that played a major part of it. Uh, Totally, 100%. Um, And I had a lot of people, because I was young at the time, I think 22, 23, that were like really pushing me, especially like my mentors, you know, you're young, you can do this. And I can't say I really was taking it serious early on, but then as I got into it, and, and uh, again, just competitive nature I feel like as athletes or just personality-wise, um, you wanna succeed. You wanna work hard at it and get better at it. So as I got better, I actually started, uh, I picked up, I was moving up fast. Um, I remember I picked up uh, my ju- first JUCO conference um, in the area and I think that's when, when I picked that up and, and I started to uh, go to those meetings and being amongst you know higher level officials I think that's when I was like I'm, I'm on to something here mm. I'm on to something here let me let me see how far this could take me
0: and I think New York City just in general is a stomping ground of you know elevating your level only because you're always surrounded by people that take it serious mm-hmm. that are at higher levels than you so it makes you want to push even further so, I know you mentioned Greg Dickerson, and I know you mentioned Arnold Saunders and Antonio Brimmer, Heather Brown. List any other mentors that you haven 't mentioned um, what do you think they 've done for your career thus far, and how do you think it 's shaped the way you help people after you now that you meet people you know that are starting out, and maybe they don 't see what you see in them, mm. kind of like what what they saw in you mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's a that's a loaded question there, man. <laughs> Putting you on the spot. <laughs> um,
1: you know, I would say Dave Dave Fernandez, um, official from Staten Island, because when I when I initially started, I was on the Brooklyn board, mm-hmm. and then I kind of transferred to the Staten Island board. Obviously, that's where I grew up. That's where uh, my connections are, and so forth. And and Dave Fernandez was probably one of those people because he was. He was already established in his career. Division one official um, was kind of like the this, this systemic kind of route that you would take in New York City, going from Catholic to the JUCOs, Division three, D two, D one. So um, he was kind of the, one of those people that I would say, not necessarily a mentor, but someone who advocated for me, and um, I would I would credit him to helping me along that process. Right? Um, in terms of moving up within the, the Catholic and college ranks, for sure. Um, in terms of people that, that's come behind me, um, there's been plenty of people within that circle. Um, I'd say John Colson was one of, those, one of those guys that when I first started, he would give me a bunch of games. And that's rare. He's one of the, the few guys in this business that when you first start out, he, He'll will, just load he, will, you he up. will give you those games that you're probably not prepared for, but... There's a saying: throw you in the fire and see if you survive. Then you could continue getting games from him. So within that circle, there's plenty of guys that came from after me that had reached out to me for advice. They may have heard me heard my name through the grapevine, and, and um, I was able to hey. So I think one of one of the the problems I won't say problems, but things with officiating is when you get certified it's like all right you certified what's next good luck and there's not really a route for guys to say hey or unless you do have a mentor to say hey this is where you need to go to be in front of the right people to move on um so one of the guys that actually used to play for my on, on the same basketball team here at Brooklyn College um he probably three or four years after I started he, he, he saw what I was doing with it Uh, because he used to play in men's leagues and I go to the men's leagues and I'm officiating he's playing Uh, so he reached out to me how do I how do I take the test how do I do this Um, so long story short now he's he just uh last year he completed his first year division three
0: wow
1: yeah and that just came from him calling me up asking me about plays what camp should I go to you know, uh, where should I be working? Those those kind of questions, and I was able to steer him in direct, the right direction. Kind of like what Greg Dixon, my mem- mentor, told me, never hold information. You know, I'm telling you these things, and one day you're going to pass it on to someone else. Mm-hmm. And and that's the way this kind of officiating brotherhood should be.
0: Yeah, and just like Re- Greg Dickinson said... You're not going to be Greg Dickerson. Because right. at the end of the day, you can get that information as much as you want, but if you don't have, if you don't possess the ambition yourself and you don't have the proficiency within yourself, you can know all the information in the world, but you got to execute and perform at the moment. So no one's going to be better than you being you at that moment. So, you know, I always find it weird that there's always, like, two, two schools of thought. There's the supportive group mm-hmm. that we're amongst, and then there's the territorial group, whereas like... I can't replicate what you can do, mm-hmm. right? So just because I gave you the information doesn't mean that you're going to be able to apply. Exactly. Do you find that the same, exactly. Totally agree. Um, so I know that you're deep into basketball. Would you ever consider officiating another sport? And if so, what would it be?
1: Um, no, probably <laughs> <laughs> only because I say that jokingly. Only not not to not that any other sport is not good or anything like that, but. I got into it because of, you know, my love for the game, basketball, and it's, it's a year-round thing for me,
0: mm-hmm. you know,
1: and I know a lot of other guys in my circle, it's a year, year-round officiating thing, so in terms of, like, scheduling-wise, pers- personal life, I, I don't necessarily think I would have enough time to do something, but, I mean, from what I'm hearing, lacrosse is pretty pretty good gig. Lacrosse is great. <laughs>
0: lacrosse is great. In fact... Um, I don't even know if I've mentioned this on a pod, but I remember I, I'm also a baseball official, okay. and I remember it was like the top of the third, and there's a lacrosse field adjacent to the to left field. Mm-hmm. So I'm looking at the time, and I'm like, okay, the time is winding down, and it was like 1957, and they were warming up, top of the third, right? So now we're at like the bottom of the fifth, and they're ready at the fourth quarter with three <laughs> minutes left. You know how sick to my stomach I was <laughs> thinking that, I wish, I wish today at least I was the lacrosse official at that thing. Uh-huh. Once the officials were done, they come to my field and they start waving at me. And I'm starting <laughs> the top of the six and I'm like, man, I got to make this switch. <laughs> and everyone always tells me, man, you got to stick with something with a clock. But I don't know, for something inside of me, I enjoy baseball. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's something that I like for myself. Um, but I wanted to go back. Summer 2019, it's winding down. It's almost Labor Day. Um, I know that some of the best ball is in New York City. We're talking Gersh Park, we're talking Rucker, we're talking West 4th. I wanted to talk about just your experience was this summer doing summer ball in the Pro-Am circuit and all the high school all around New York City. What's your favorite moment so far?
1: I actually just wrapped up Gersh Park and did the the semi-final playoff game and um, that was pretty intense You, you get into these, uh, these venues, especially outdoor park venues. Gersh is one of those uh, outdoor parks that's very sanctioned. I think Nike sponsors them. So it's not too crazy outside. But, um, you know, it's intense. You've got pro- professional athletes that come to play in these, these games. And they're going at it like it's the NBA Finals. Mm-hmm. You know, and e- every call is important and it matters and you gotta be focused. And um, it's tough, it's tough. So I would say that game I just had probably two weeks ago came down to the last possession. Um, So yeah, this summer I've been making my rounds around the the Pro-Am Circuit, Gersh Park, uh, Pro City, uh, main event in in Brooklyn. Um, So it's been fun, it's been fun.
0: You have any more venues that you're gonna probably get into before Labor Day or no? No, I think it's, it's pretty much winding uh, yeah, down, right? Most
1: of it's wrapped up so far. So right now it's kind of just winding down, getting ready for the season mentally, physically. Um, but I enjoy it. the summertime. I love working those kind of venues because I feel like it keeps me sharp, and it's not—it's rare that you, you know, every time you, every once in a while you'll get an actual NBA player that, mm-hmm. that plays in those games. And it's just, I mean, I feel like for any official, that's what you would want to do. Right. Is, is referee at the highest level with the with the, the best athletes in the world. Um, and New York City, thankfully, is, is one of those places where you can kind of get that kind of basketball. Yeah,
0: we're, we're real lucky, man. Just, people just keep coming. And, you know, I think pound for pound, this has probably been the best summer. Just in terms of, you know, the whole New York versus New York. Uh, you know, they've been doing a great job, too, with social media and just getting everyone involved. I know... Um, the Greek Freak went to Lincoln Park like a, a month ago with the Coming to America and all that. Yeah. That was crazy. Yeah, yeah, that cra- yeah. That's crazy. Because I've been to that park just shooting hoops. Yeah. And then just to see how it just comes alive. And, you know, people in New York, they just have a special brand of just bringing it, yeah. right? Um, well, that, and,
1: that New York New York versus New York tournament, um, I feel like they're three years in now. Yeah. And I, I feel like it's developed into something that's really organic. Mm-hmm. Uh, where you have these different parks competing against each other, the best high school talent in New York City, and um, I've done a, a couple games this year, New York versus New York, and um, I mean the atmosphere is, is, is amazing. You got these players again, top players in the city, D1 athletes, um, packed crowd, uh, cameras everywhere, and as an official, those are the kind of kind of games you want to officiate. Mm. You know, high level intensity and it's time for you to perform and showcase you know, everything, all the preparation that you put into it, you're able to showcase it on, on a stage like that.
0: Right, so. so I know even before the summer, you probably had a crop of camps that you went to. Just discuss your experience and what your mindset is when you attend these camps. I think a lot of people would wanna know, especially when they're getting into it, um, what type of mindset would, would you have as an already concurrent uh, existing college official? Mm-hmm. Going into these these uh, camps,
1: yeah, camp situation's tough, you know, because uh, you get into especially once you start going to Division One camps, uh, where you're paying five hundred dollars. You know, in, in my case, flying out to uh, Kansas City, Missouri, to try and pick up a contract, and you got a, a, a roster of seventy five guys. Uh, maybe perhaps fifteen are already on staff. Um, the other rest are Division One officials already. Um, in other conferences, and everyone's in shape.
0: Everyone's good.
1: <laughs> everyone's good. Everybody probably can already work that that conference. Um, so for me, it's 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 breaking it back down to the basics, which is um, running to the spots, uh, hustling, mechanics, um, play calling. You know, and that's the thing with camp that I think guys kind of misinterpret that play I, I'm not too sure that um, assigners are looking at play calling mm-hmm. you know uh, it's more for me it's more the way you look you got to be in shape you got to have the, the mechanics and doing doing the little things partnership that's that's a big thing you know you get you get in a game sometimes and you may have a situation where coach is going crazy or you had a double whistle or, or something like that and, and your partner's looking for help or maybe uh, a play to the basket and there was a crash and you know maybe he was in the arc, maybe he wasn't. Your, your partner may have got it wrong. Are you going to come and bring him that information? And I think that was one of the things that I learned even this most recent camp that I went to is be a good partner. You know, Observers could see that. Uh, signers could pick up on that. They don't want you to... Throw your partner under the bus, or, or leave him out to dry, because um, we're all a team on the court, and that's what makes a referee. Mm-hmm. You know, the ability to know if if I'm working with a guy who's less experienced, is I'm not going to leave him out to dry, right? You know, maybe he does make, us make a mistake turn the game. Let's bring him along, try and put confidence in, in him, so we can move this game along and get out of it good. Mm-hmm. You know, because we always like to say there may be a winner and a loser. But the officiating team is always going to win. Yeah. Hmm. So, I think when when you go to those camps, those are those are the kind of things that you should be gearing your mind towards. It's just being a good partner, um, communicating, you know, having a having a loud voice, being verbal, and your mechanics. Your mechanics, are everything. You have good mechanics. You have the the posture. You have the build. That's like ninety percent of the battle, honestly honestly walking in yep. that first impression when you walk into the room when your first orientation for the camp that's that's it and then who's this guy looks good mm. where's he from what court's he at at five o'clock you go to his court look at mechanics mm. looks good he runs running to the table, reporting. That's, that's 90% of the battle.
0: And then probably for you, when they, they go, look at that 10-second count. <laughs> <laughs> so, aside from all your blessings officiating, I know you have a demanding job in the media business yes. on your normal 9-to-5. You've got to five. You gotta be blessed because they allow you to go to Kansas City. They allow you to do all these games. So, you know, just talk about the, I guess, the balancing act that you have going from a 9-to-5 and then to your 5-to-9. And what are the demands of that?
1: It's interesting. Uh, I, I don't work a 9-to-5. Um, and that's part of, like, my my media business, what, what I'm in, is my schedule. I work nights, so I, I work overnights, midnight to 8, and that kind of allows me to officiate those games that I do um, on a year-to-year basis. Um, but it's challenging. It's challenging. That's an opposite shift. Um, and in terms of sleep, I, you know, during the season, I may get home at, say, 11, 10, 11, sleep for a couple hours, then if I have, a, say, a 7 o'clock game and I have to travel, I have to be up as early as 2 or 3 to make the games. And um, it's tough. Mm. And I don't think we speak enough about, as a whole, about just the professionalism aspect of officiating off the court where it comes to scheduling, making sure your your dates are blocked out, um, packing your clothes the day before to make sure... You have everything you need. Um, the eating aspect of it, the dieting, you know, the wintertime we're traveling, it's cold, you don't want to get sick, making sure you have the right vitamins, you're eating properly. Um, so, those are things that throughout the season, that's that constant grind, you know. For me, it's, it's Monday through Sunday during the season, officiating, whether it's a, a college game, a high school game. I may have a high school game on Monday, then I have a game on Tuesday. Uh, college game then back to a a high school game on Wednesday Thursday is another college game and maybe I'm traveling to Jersey I'm going to Pennsylvania and then driving back to go into work and then to do it all again the next day Mm. so that takes a lot of time and preparation and and thinking about okay what do I need for that next day in terms of do do I have all my gear with me do I have backup shirts, whistles and stuff like that because um, you never know what may happen. And, and the biggest thing is making sure you're going to the right venue. <laughs> oh, yeah.
0: Oh, yeah. We've all been through that. I,
1: how many of us uh, have driven to the wrong venue? Yeah. You
0: know? And I know you don't have this problem, but, man, if you're a women's official, you have an IABO shirt, you're going to hear about it for the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> for the rest of your life. Um, after everything that you said, everything that you've been through, what do you think of the attributes? What do you think it took to get to where you are in this moment of time as an official?
1: Good question. Um, again, I think it. I think it all circles back to your professionalism um, and working hard at your craft and just putting in the time and effort on and off the court. You know, we talk about mechanics. We spoke about earlier, um, doing the mirror work day in and day out, making sure you're sharp. A lot of. I think that's not spoken up enough about is how important it is to have mechanics and how you need to go in the mirror and work on your mechanics. Um, the other thing is film work. Um, and it wasn't until probably year three or four where I actually like I need to look at myself on film. And that first time I, I watched myself on you film I was like, oh my gosh, I look like that on mm. film. Oh, uh, but I think every, every referee needs that moment, that moment of, of realization, I'm like, wow, I need some work. You know? So for me, during the season, um, I'm, I want that game tape the next day so I can break down plays and I could, I could see what I did wrong. In your mind, visually, you play out some plays that, that may have been questionable, that you have some questions about, and it's not until you see the play, and it's not to say, oh, I got that right, it's to say, what could I have done better? Mm. Where was my positioning on that play? Um, did I close down? Uh, did I have the right angle? Why did I make that call? Why didn't I make that call? Um, so those, that's, those are some of the things that comes with just getting better as, mm. an, as an official. Off the court, it's, it's the communication. Um, as an assigner, you want to know that you're official that you hire that you could depend on them and part of that uh, being dependable is making sure that you close out your dates that you're not giving games back when you had an open date um, that you're communicating with your partners on the the day of the game or even before the game you know I like to shoot out emails especially if I'm the referee you know hey guys anyone wants to ride together Um, you know Here's the game. Here's the time. I reached out to the athletic director. The game's confirmed. So little things like that go a long way because we all, it's a small referee community. We all talk. And, um, when your name gets on that schedule, you would like to hope that your partners are excited mm. to work with you, you know, because you, you do those things, those little things that, that goes a long way. Mm. Um, presenting yourself. I think the Catholic League, I get to their credit, I think they really groom you to be that kind of uh, professional official One thousand percent. when it comes to the way you dress. And I always was the one that took the approach of, you know, I'm going to go to the games, dress very professional, obviously clean shave, and, that, and that's going to be my approach, mm. no matter what.
0: Yeah, I remember me and Oren had a game, and, and you were you had the double-A game after us, and I was like, okay, Ahmad's in the zone. I'm, like, <laughs> I'm going to not speak to him right now and let him do his thing. Um, after everything that you said after that, what do you think it's going to take to get to where you want to go and ultimately where do you want to go in the game of officiating?
1: Um, some of those same things. I think just continuing off of that. I, I tell, in my mind, I tell myself, I'm just trying to be the best official that I can be and let the, let the cards... Where they may, um, you know, I've gotten this far. I'm, I'm blessed to be in, been in this position where I am today, and uh, we'll just go from there. Mm. Obviously, I think any official that that has put in the work and has reached, say, Division Two level, um, wants to be a Division One referee, um, and that doesn't happen for everybody, um, and that's you know that's okay. I'm a, I'm of the mindset that. You know, if it happens, it happens. If it doesn't, it doesn't. I'm going to continue to go put, put myself in a position to be hired at, where it comes to going to camps and stuff like that. Um, so that's where I'm at with it, you know. I got a, a season coming up. I just picked up uh, another uh, contract, Division Two, and uh, we'll go from there. That'll be a new experience. For me, each year that I was an official, um, I picked up... Conference picked up more games, so in my mind, you know, and even up until this year, um, there's been some progress, you know, each year. So, the moment it stops being progress, then I probably tell myself, All right, I've hit a ceiling, mm. um, but just got to keep working, just got to keep working. That's mm. all for me. It's like Division One, hopefully. If it doesn't happen, it wasn't meant for me.
0: I think you got a good chance. <laughs> just got a hunch. Um, so, my final two questions. Uh, what has been your most stickiest situation ever playing basketball? And what is your most stickiest situation that you've ever had as a basketball official?
1: Oof. Playing basketball? That's going back, that's going back a long time. You've
0: got to remember something that sticks <laughs> in your mind that still bothers you. <laughs> um...
1: Well, the first thought that comes to my mind is my last game as a, as a basketball player. Um, right here,
0: in this gym right no,
1: now. No in, Not in this gym, but as a player for Brooklyn College, senior year um, at City College, CUNY semifinals, playing College of Staten Island, and um, we lost by two points. Two points.
0: Don't tell me you missed free throws at the end.
1: No, but we were up. We were up 15 points Hurtful. with five minutes left in the second half.
0: But he hit like two threes in a row, get and a steal, they,
1: layup? Yes, they went on a run, and, uh, you know, we just couldn't stop the bleeding. They came back. I believe they forced it to overtime, and uh, we ended up on the short end of the stick. Damn. And CSI went on to win the championship, too. And it hurt because, obviously, we obviously one, it's my last year, and that was my last game playing officially. Um, but also, we had just came off of a back-to-back championship, so mm. it was kind of like going for that third, going for that third, and that, that one hurt.
0: That's why it says 2010 and then 2016, right? Yeah, there's,
1: there, a-, yeah, there's, a, there's a gap
0: there. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> and what has been your stickiest situation that you've ever had as an official?
1: Um, I've had have had a few, as we all have. Um, I could I could remember as early as my first year. Um, we had a uh, I did I was fortunate enough my first year to do the PSAL JV championship, um, and that was a tough game. That was a tough game. You had Jefferson High School, one of the top schools in Brooklyn, a public school, and uh, Cardozo top school in Queens, PSAL, at Cardozo, um, and a lot of those kids, it's funny because they were freshmen at the time, like uh, Shamari Pons, mm. who's now an NBA player, he was a freshman that year, and I, I watched those kids, I, as, as my officiating career developed, they developed as players, so it's kind of like nostalgic to see like a, a Pons now in NBA. And knowing that when I first started, he was a freshman. And and And
0: he was still a stud. Absolutely,
1: So, yeah, so that was a game where first-year official, fortunate enough to do a a championship game, and perhaps I wasn't as ready as I thought I was because that that was a high-intensity game, a lot of fouls, a lot of game management situations with coaches, you know, the crowd is intense. And I remember fourth quarter, um... Jefferson, Cardozo kid had the the ball. Um, He's dribbling, has to go the length of the court. It's probably like less than a minute left, two point game. So he's dribbling, Jefferson kid's on him, may have fouled him. I let the play go, thinking that he was going to be able to play through it. Kind of bounces it off his leg, it goes out of bounds. Jefferson Ball. The coach for Cardozo lost his mind.
0: It wasn't a clarion. No. <laughs> but he was on the bench. <laughs> sure he was sitting on the bench.
1: But the, the coach lost his mind. And at that point, I froze. Because hmm. I know the kid got fouled. I didn't call it because I thought that he was going to play through to it. Right. You know, so it's kind of one of those rhythm, speed, balance plays where you talk about sometimes that can bite you. Where you allow the play to play through and, uh, you know, these are JV kids. They're not, they can't play through certain contacts. So that was a learning process for me where, especially at that point in the game, just call the fouls. fouls call themselves at that point. You're not going to get in trouble for blowing it. You're Mm going to get in trouble for not blowing it, which in this case, he ended up throwing it, went out of bounds. And now we have a situation where the kid did get fouled and now we're giving the possession to the other team coach lost his mind my partner came from the opposite end of the court technical foul so that was probably you know so now we shoot two free throws they get the ball back game's pretty much over at that point so for me that was the biggest learning situation stickiest situation i think to date because that kind of set the tone for my next years of officiating and, and learning from that moment was big for me i mean I went home, I was crushed. I was crushed. It's just like, you know, I could have did that differently. Mm. If only I had that whistle, the game would have probably played out a bit differently. And, and that technical foul definitely doesn't happen, you know. So.
0: I wonder what a, a young AJ would have done if he was uh, that Cardozo player and a hit off the leg. <laughs> <laughs> probably would have got tossed. no. <laughs> final question that I had for you what is the best moment that you've ever had as a player and what has been your best moment thus far in your basketball officiating career as
1: a player I would say definitely that first championship we won at, at Brooklyn College because um, I didn't in high school we, we were pretty good in, in Curtis and we got to the semifinals um PSAL actually we lost to I believe Lance Stevenson's team mm. uh, um So it was like I wanted that that championship. And that first championship at Brooklyn College in 2009 was was it for me. It was was a pretty proud moment. It was the first time we won a championship at Brooklyn College in over 20 years. So that first one was probably the the biggest moment of my career as a a player, definitely for sure. Now On the officiating side, I was fortunate enough last year, um, I was able to work the... uh, training camp for the Knicks. So what we did was a group of us um, we'd go to their training camp upstate in uh, West I believe. Um, so we worked Monday through Friday at the camp and they would just do we worked their scrimmages and stuff like that which is cool. And then on Saturday they had an inner squad scrimmage at Madison Square Garden. Mm. So I didn't think it was going to be much, you know. Knicks, yeah, it's fun refing the Knicks, but you're thinking in a squat scrimmage. We've been working with them the entire week, scrimmages and stuff like that. So we show up to the garden, and you know, we suit up, we go out there, and I mean, it's a packed house. Like at the a, garden. At the garden, MSG. Like it's like a real game, and I was shocked. I mean, there's a lot of clearly a lot of like deeply invested New York Knicks fans in, in New York City. That that place was rocking and rolling, and I, I for me that was probably my biggest moment. Even though it wasn't a, a real game, just to be able to officiate NBA players at that level, and they took it serious. They were playing like like, like they wanted to win these, and football. they were
0: getting at you, at, yeah, as if, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, questioning calls, the ref, I'm getting he's holding me and, and asking questions and and stuff like that, and at the referee, like it was a real game, and. It had every, all the elements of an NBA game that you could imagine. Mm. Um, so for me, that, that probably was the highlight of my officiating career to this point.
0: That's really cool, man. That concludes the pod. Um, AJ, I appreciate you even more now that I know that your circadian rhythms are all messed up because of your <laughs> overnight service. Um, is there any final words that you want to say before we part ways?
1: No, I uh, just thank you, appreciate you for having me and reaching out, and uh, we'll be in touch.
0: Yeah, sure. man, and hopefully we can get some double-A smoke in the Catholic <laughs> League together Definitely. very soon before we both start flying. For sure. For, for sure. A.J. Hemingway, this is Ralph the Ref, this is The Rant, we're at Brooklyn College. I'll see you later, peace.